Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water it starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It all started with a... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Craigslist ad. I had just moved into a new apartment and being the broke post-grad that I am, I had pretty much nothing to my name except a few boxes of stuff from my parents' house and a busted-up box spring mattress. At that point most days I was sitting cross-legged on the floor in the living room, eating off paper plates while binging Netflix from my laptop for hours at a time. Clearly, this was no way to live and so I decided to log on to my neighbor's unprotected Wi-Fi network and hunt for some furniture, so I could at least binge Netflix from the comfort of a couch and stop eating on the floor like a savage. And so I hopped onto the free section of Craigslist and began searching for a couch. Do you ever searched for a couch on Craigslist? It's not great. Half the couches on there are held together with duct tape, and the other half are covered in stains of dubious origin. I may be broke as hell, but I'm not that broke. I have standards. I had to have been scrolling for well over an hour, and was probably already a week into the backlogs. I was going to quit, but decided to give the page a refresh before calling it a day. And the moment I refreshed, it caught my eye. The ad was right at the top, not even a minute old, listed as Brand new couch, never used free for pickup. Brand new sounded pretty good to me, so I went ahead and opened it. The couch was in perfect condition. Almost suspiciously perfect, but there were no stains, no lumps, no broken legs. I wasn't one to look a gift horse in the mouth, so I typed out a quick response that I'd be willing to take it off their hands, and then prayed that no one had beaten me to the punch. 
I got a response less than five minutes later. So yeah, the couch is all yours if you can come by to pick it up today. I'm available until 8, so be sure to get out here by then. You might want to leave soon. I was slightly confused by that last part until I saw the address. This place was way out in the boonies. Way far. Nestled in the part of the country reserved for mountain men and hillbillies. I was hesitant. It was a long drive. To the back country. Where no one can hear you scream. But as I sat there in my sparse living room on the bare floor, I realized that I really needed that couch. And it was probably safe. People almost always walk away from Craigslist deals alive. Usually, it was a stupid thing to do, but I did it anyways. I typed out another quick reply that I'd be heading out right away and thanked them for the couch. Then I grabbed my keys and bolted out the door and hopped in my truck. I plugged the address into Google Maps and was on my way. As I drove down the interstate, I began to appreciate just how far I was going to get one piece of furniture. The cityscape soon gave way to suburban housing developments, and those developments soon gave way to the vast brush of the middle of nowhere. I never really understood why people would want to be so far removed from society, but to each their own, I guess. I had been driving through mountains and valleys for the better part of an hour when Google Maps finally spoke up. In 500 feet, take exit 23 for Arbor Road. I sighed in relief. I was getting closer. As I got off the freeway, Google chimed in again. Take the next ride on Arbor Road. I made my way deeper and deeper into the countryside. Giant oaks leaned over stretches of road and every so often a squirrel would tempt fate and dash across the road in front of me. It was deserted. I don't think I saw another car since I had gotten off the freeway. In 200 feet, take the next left onto Gable Lane. I jumped a little when Google broke the silence, but quickly regained my senses and slowed down to take the left. Turn left onto Gable Lane. But I couldn't see it. There didn't seem to be any road at all, just woods and brush. I stopped in the middle of the road. I could see the path on the map. There should be a road. I pulled my car forward slowly, searching for the street that should be there. And then I saw it. Just barely. It's like the woods was trying to hide it. It was almost completely overgrown on the sides. Brush piled high on both sides, spilling out onto the asphalt. The sign was literally being swallowed up by a tree. The words Able Land poked out from beneath the bark. I'll be honest, I nearly turned around right there. This is the part of the horror movie where you yell at the idiot college kids to turn around and spend spring break in Cabo like everyone else. But I had been driving for forever and turning around then would have meant wasting the afternoon and about a half tank of gas. I'm frugal if a little stupid, so I took the left and pushed past the overgrown brush onto Gable Lane. From there it wasn't as spooky as you'd think from the creepy entrance. Gable Lane opened up once again into a proper road, and I was on my way once more. And then ten minutes later the road stopped. Or rather, the asphalt did. Big clouds of dust filled the air as my truck hit a dirt road. I did a quick check of my map to be sure I hadn't taken a wrong turn. But the app confirmed I was going in the right direction. I drove down the dirt road for a good five minutes when Google Maps chimed in again. In half a mile... Take a right at the gnarled oak tree. That was odd. Since when did Google Maps start giving directions like a clerk at a liquor store? Does Google Maps even use landmarks in their directions? But sure enough, a half mile down the road, a huge oak tree stood old and twisted, half of its leaves missing. And at its base was another dirt road, much less traveled, nearly overrun with tall grass. I took the turn and continued down the road. The next 15 minutes was a rabbit trail of different roads and landmarks that took me deeper and deeper into the woods. Let's turn left at the pile of rocks. Let's turn left at the broken down tractor. Let's turn right into the grove of trees. I had nearly reached my breaking point, which I admit, I probably should have reached far sooner when the road in front of me stopped dead. There was no asphalt, no dirt, just a wall of trees and bushes. I couldn't drive any farther. I was pissed. Google had screwed up. It took me on a wild goose chase through the middle of nowhere, likely way far away from my destination, and now some other lucky bastard was going to get my free couch. Take the wooden footpath ahead for 100 yards. 
I snapped out of my anger. What did it just say? I looked at my phone. The instructions had turned from car directions to walking directions, the little walking man icon now highlighted on the screen. I looked up and through the glare on my windshield I could see it. Straight ahead there was a small break in the bushes behind which I could see a series of wooden logs half buried in the dirt, forming a path through the trees. Again, had I more sense, I would have turned back then. But I'm nothing if not persistent, so instead I climbed out of my truck, locked it and headed through the trees and down the path. The path wound up and down the hillside, through the trees, around prickly bushes, and soon my truck was out of sight. It started to occur to me that even if I found the house and got the couch, I was going to have to lug it all the way back to the truck. That was going to be a gigantic pain in the ass. I could only hope the couch giver would lend me a hand. I was pretty far down the path when Google spoke again. After the bend, take a left along the riverbank. I could hear the water before I saw it. As I rounded the bend, a large, rushing river came into view. I didn't look deep, but it didn't look exactly safe to cross. I was glad Google wasn't asking me to ford it. I did as instructed and took a left alongside the river. Google chimed in almost immediately. In 200 feet, take the fallen tree over the river, of course. Of course I was going to have to cross the damn river. It wasn't long before I saw the tree. It was huge and long dead, devoid of any leaves and dry as a bone. It lay across the river, resting on either side of the bank. The river ran below it, a bit calmer than when I first saw it, but I still wasn't keen on falling in. Take the fallen tree over the river. I took a deep breath, scrambled over the roots and hoisted myself up onto the dead tree. Why the hell not? I'd come this far. Even if there was no couch at the end of this, I'd at least have a fun story to tell. It was a slightly scary trip across the dead tree. I was certain at some point my foot would break through a rotten patch, and I'd turn my ankle or go sprawling into the water below. But aside from a few worrying creaks and cracks, I got to the other end with no problem. Google had started talking again before my feet even touched the ground on the other side. Take the path in the thicket ahead for 400 yards. All right, Google, you're the boss. I proceeded through the thicket ahead, almost enjoying myself at that point. I was bushwhacking like some old-school adventurer, except the hidden treasure I was seeking was a sofa instead of the Holy Grail. Along the way, Google kept feeding me instructions. Take a right around the large boulder. Take the embankment upward to your left. Keep straight past the hornet's nest. In fifty feet, take a right past the rotten stump. Looking back, the directions were impossible. How the hell would Google know that a hornet's nest would be on that tree? There's no way they were sending people down here to plot directions to some redneck's house in the butt crack of nowhere. But I was tired and stubborn, and in the moment it barely registered. I know what you're thinking. I am not a smart man. You're not wrong. I had just finished wading through a sea of bushes when I came into what I can only describe as a hollow. I don't know if that's the right word, but that's what I'm calling it. The forest cleared out in nearly a perfect circle, maybe forty feet in every direction. The branches of the ancient trees joined together above me, shutting out the sun, casting the entire area in shadow. And in the middle of the hollow was a large, stony outcropping, jutting out of the ground like a broken molar. And in the middle of that outcropping was an opening. I stepped out into the hollow and could feel the temperature drop. I stopped dead. This wasn't right. I nearly jumped when Google spoke up. Enter the cave. And that was that it. I was done. Like hell I was going into some creepy cave in the woods for a damned couch. I'll put up with a good amount of nonsense but I have my limits. I turned to leave hoping I could get back to my car and the main road before the sun went down. Google piped up again. Enter the cave. Yeah, no thanks. I stepped towards the exit of the hollow and hadn't even gone two steps before it interjected once more. The way back is closed. Enter the cave. What do you mean? The way back is closed. I shouted at my phone. I'm going back to my truck. If you do not know how to get back, you will get lost. I stopped dead and chills went down my spine. I stared at my phone for a few seconds before raising it up to my mouth. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. I was on the verge of pissing my pants. I could feel myself begin to shake. 
I clenched my fists, took a few deep breaths before the panic could overtake me. I steeled myself and shouted back at my phone. I'm not going into that friggin' cave. I'm going back to the truck. You do not know the way back. And then the fear gave way to anger. I was fully prepared to get into an argument with my phone right then, and there when I realized it was right. Google must have given me 20 different directions since I left my car, and they were all basically down unmarked paths. There was no way I could find my way back without Google and Google was not going to help me. If I tried to find my way, I'd be stuck in deliverance country in the middle of the night alone. I considered phoning for help, but my reception was dead. The bars replaced with a big fat circle with a slash through it. Enter the cave. I clenched my jaw. I didn't have much of a choice. I was basically hosed no matter what I chose to do. I turned around looking into the mouth of the cave. It was pitch black, a gaping maw in the middle of the rock. And that's where I had to go. I approached it, slowly, carefully, as if the entrance were a wild animal waiting to swallow me whole. As I reached the entrance I could smell the fetid aroma of damp, dead leaves. The air around the entrance was even colder than the air at the beginning of the hollow. The chilling air wrapped around my chest, almost as if it meant to grab me and drag me into the depths. I looked down at the shining light of my phone screen. Google spoke once more. Enter the cave. I took a deep, shuddering breath, closed my eyes, and with all the courage I could muster, I stepped into the cave. Part 2. The moment I stepped into the cave, it was like all light blinked out of existence. It was darker than dark, completely pitch black. I turned my phone around, holding it in front of me like a priest with a crucifix, trying to banish the darkness away. It didn't work, I still couldn't see a thing. Google Maps spoke up. Continue forward for 150 feet, then turn right. I couldn't stop from chuckling to myself. A fat lot of good directions were when I couldn't see the hands in front of my face. I stumbled forward a few steps before the realization struck me. My phone had a flashlight app. I turned my phone back around and fumbled through my home screen until I found the app. I tapped it and after a few seconds a nice strong beam of light from the back mounted lead cut through the darkness and into the cave in front of me. Honestly the cave wasn't terribly impressive. Pretty darn average as far as I could tell. The floor was dirt, littered with dead leaves and rocks. Vines hung from the ceiling and the walls were solid stone. I reached out a hand and touched the walls. I withdrew it quickly. It was ice cold. I shivered. What the hell was I doing here? Continue forward for 150 feet, then turn right. Yeah, yeah, I replied, holding the phone back in front of me and making my way into the cave. The next stretch of time was basically uneventful. I took the next right I saw and from then on it was mostly just a series of lefts and rights through the rocky, winding passages. If anything was remarkable, it was how deep the tunnels seemed to go. I had been walking for maybe 15 minutes. That may seem like a short amount of time, but you can cover a lot of distance, even just walking. This cave system was vast, and I was only covering a short section of it. After a while, Google's voice broke through the silence. In 20 feet, take the passage on the left. Whatever you say, Google. I moved steadily forward, switching from looking ahead to checking the map on the screen. Soon I came to the turn. Take the passage on the left. I shined the flashlight to my left. A deep fissure ran from the ceiling to the floor of the cave. It was wide, but not exactly human-friendly. I can't go through there, I scoffed. It's way too small. I turned the flashlight back to the wide-open passage in front of me. Why can't I just go this way? They wait for you down that path. Do not go there. Well, that was creepy. I felt an involuntary shudder run down my spine. Who's waiting for me down there, I asked. Take the passage on the left. Okay, fine, be a cryptic asshole. Honestly, I was tempted to just say screw it and go down the broad path anyways. For all I knew, that was the way out and Google Maps was just digging me farther and farther into a dead end. I shined the light down the path once more. It would be easier. But then again. The more I looked down the broad passageway, the more something felt off. I couldn't place it. But you know that feeling you get where your whole body just seems to be screaming at you that something's not right. 
Like your subconscious is reading the situation way more clearly than you are, and it's telling you to stay the hell away. Yeah, I was beginning to get that in spades. It wasn't until a few days later, looking back, that I realized what was wrong. The path was completely dark about ten feet ahead of me. I don't mean dark like the rest of the cave. I mean completely black. My flashlight didn't illuminate anything ten feet down the path. Not the walls, not the floor, nothing. It's like the darkness just swallowed the light, kept it from getting any farther. Who knows what would have happened if I had gone down that path even just a short distance. I still get the shivers just thinking about it. I turned the flashlight back towards the fissure inside. I guess I was doing this. I steeled myself and then phone first began to squeeze myself through the giant crack in the wall. Now, I'm not super hefty, but I'm not exactly a stick either. It was a tight squeeze. At several points I had to breathe out a bit so I could fit through the hard, gritty hole in the wall. Luckily, it only took me a few moments to get through. The crack itself was only a couple feet deep and soon I was out on the other side. I turned the flashlight into the area in front of me. It was bigger than I was expecting. I figured I'd just end up in more tunnels, but this was an entire chamber maybe 30 feet high, 25 feet wide. Along the wall, broad outcroppings of rock stuck out at odd angles, creating lopsided shelves all the way to the ceiling. Climb to the top. What? I asked. Climb to the top. I shined my light up the wall, past the rocky shelves and to the ceiling. I took me a few seconds, but then I saw it. It was a long, broad crack where the ceiling met the wall. It was even smaller than the fissure in the tunnel. You're kidding me, I breathed. But at that point I was starting to get over the stupid crap Google was asking me to do. Arguing with it wasn't helpful and honestly, giving up and going back seemed less and less likely as an option. But I walked over to the far wall and lugged my tired self up onto the first rocky shelf. I wasn't exactly thrilled to be climbing up a rock wall. I'm not in great shape. I went to a climbing gym once, tried bouldering. I fell and landed weird, nearly tore my ankle. So clinging to the side of the cave wall wasn't my idea of a good time. But I kept at it. Shelf after rocky shelf, I made my way up the wall. Some shelves were really broad, enough for me to lie on my back and catch my breath for a minute. Some were butt-clenchingly narrow, requiring me to lean flat against the wall and hope to God I didn't lean back an inch too far. Whenever I had solid enough ground, I'd turn my phone around and shine it down to the floor below. That wasn't a particularly good idea. Thirty feet always looks much higher when you're at the top of it than when you're at the bottom. But I did it anyways, I guess I'm just curious like that. After what seemed like forever, I hauled myself up onto the last shelf and rolled over onto my back, my breathing ragged. I had done it. I had climbed to the top. I was contemplating just lying there and napping for a bit when my damn phone spoke up again. Continue forward for thirty yards. I closed my eyes and took a deep breath, trying to will away the annoyance. I gave myself a minute and rolled over, shined my flashlight at the space between the wall and the ceiling. My heart stopped. It was a long, deep gash in the wall, maybe fifteen feet wide, but only a little over a foot tall. It made the fissure in the tunnel look like a thoroughfare. Oh God, I whispered to myself. Oh God, oh God, oh God. I could feel myself begin to panic, but I clenched my eyes shut and took a few calming breaths. I couldn't be freaking out right now, not if I was going to wedge myself into a rocky crevice deep underground. After a few moments of silently psyching myself up, I rolled onto my belly, held my phone out in front of me and soldier crawled into the crack in the wall. I should tell you, I'm not claustrophobic. Not in the least. I've found myself in all sorts of tight spaces in life. Closets, crowded subway cars, a car trunk at one point. Tight spaces have never fazed me. But in that moment, crammed literally between a rock and a hard place, you get claustrophobic really fast. As I made my way slowly, inch by inch, dragging my belly over the rough limestone, I could feel my whole body trying to rebel, trying to stop me from going farther. But there wasn't any going back at this point. Crawling forwards was difficult enough. Crawling backwards would have been impossible. So I kept going, mentally telling myself to shut the hell up and push forward. Soldier crawling, by the way, is a lot of damn work. 
You'd think climbing 30 feet up a rock wall is tough, but crawling on your belly, wriggling in the dirt, a hard floor below you and a sharp rock ceiling scraping at you from above is exhausting. You use every muscle you have, even some you didn't know existed. Despite the icy cold of the cave behind me, I was now drenched in sweat, the salty drops falling into my eyes, burning until I could free one of my hands to wipe them away. But I kept at it, scrapes and sweat and exhaustion be damned. Every so often I would stop, holding my phone in front of me to see where I was going, but it didn't illuminate much. The rock extended out for what seemed like forever. It was about as disheartening as you can imagine, no end in sight, but Google had said I needed to go forward 30 yards. I'd reach the end soon enough. And I did reach the end. I had been crawling in the godforsaken rocky tomb for at least half an hour, if not longer, when Google finally spoke up again. In ten feet, exit into the passage ahead. Praise the Lord. Once Google told me I only needed to drag myself a few more feet, I was re-energized. I felt stronger, more resilient. I pressed forward foot by foot until I felt the edge of the crack in front of me. I could feel the cold air on my scratched and worn hands. I grabbed the edge and made to pull myself forward, and then I got stuck. For a second I thought I had just braced myself up against the rock awkwardly, but then I tried to move my leg again and it wouldn't budge. It had wedged itself between the ceiling and the floor. I tried to look back see if I could unstick myself, but it was pitch black, and then I did something really stupid. As my panic began to grow, I moved my phone hand around trying to shine the light toward my leg. And that's when I dropped it. I could hear it clatter on the ground below, maybe ten feet down. I lost my composure. As I struggled to free my leg, I could feel the ceiling push in. I could feel the floor rise up. My other leg soon lodged between the rock as well, refusing to move. I reached one arm down, trying to pull my leg free, but it brought me at an odd angle and I found myself on my side, wedged tightly in the rock, completely immobile. I tried everything I could to no avail. More than once I thrashed against the rocks and banged my head hard against the ceiling. I could feel the stone cutting into my arms, peeling away at my skin. As the rocks seemed to close in around me, my breathing became erratic. My blood pulsed past my eardrums and I could feel the pounding of my heart as it threatened to jump straight out of my chest. And then I could feel the rock around me, drumming alongside me, as if the cave was alive. A deep, moving thrum joining my heart in a psychotic rhythm. And once again I could feel the walls pressing in as I began to thrash once more, trying to free myself, trying to haul myself out of that damned crack in the rock. I could feel my lungs going, my panicked breaths becoming shorter and weaker, failing to fill with the air I needed. I could have sworn my ribs began to crack and at long last, I let out a piercing wail. A desperate cry for help and over my screaming in the darkness ahead I heard it. Do not struggle. Be still. I stopped dead. It was a little distant, but definitely audible. If you struggle, you will stay stuck. You must relax. Google was calling out to me from wherever I had dropped it. And for some reason it worked. That damn phone had done nothing but annoy the hell out of me all day, and now in the middle of hell it calmed me down. I stopped thrashing. I stopped screaming. I stopped trying to free my limbs from the rocky vise around me. Sooth. I obeyed the phone, taking in the air as slowly and as calmly as possible. I could feel the rock tighten around me as I filled my lungs, but I ignored it. I closed my eyes and just focused on my breathing, on my heartbeat. I shut out everything else. The cuts, the bruises, the rocks, the sweat, the blood. And at long last I could almost feel the rock pull away, as if it had decided to finally just let me go. From the darkness, Google's voice rang once again. Exit the passage ahead. And I did. I had relaxed enough that, with a little rocking back and forth, I could free my arm from my side. Once I was back on my belly, I kicked my legs back and felt them dislodge from the rock behind me. And then I grabbed the edge of the crack with both my aching arms and pulled myself out into the cave. Luckily, the drop wasn't as high as I thought, maybe five feet. I tumbled to the ground and flopped over onto my back, gulping in the damp, cool air of the open passage. I lay there for what must have been ten minutes and Google must have been trying to be considerate because I didn't hear a peep for a long time. 
and then once I had regained my composure, a light a few feet to my left turned on and Google spoke. Continue left down the path for a half a mile. I sighed and pulled myself up onto an elbow, reached out and grabbed my phone. Luckily, the screen hadn't cracked in the fall. I looked at it bemusedly. Really? I can't rest for five more minutes. Continue left down the path for a half mile. I rolled my eyes and hauled myself onto my feet, maybe a little too quickly. My body cried out from the bruises and cuts and stiff muscles, but I shook it off and half walked, half limped my way down the passage. Luckily, none of the half mile was interesting. No squeezing through fissures, no climbing cliffs, no creepy, unexplainable darkness ahead. And then slowly but surely, the darkness around me seemed to lighten. The walls around me became clearer and more defined, and I was able to switch the flashlight on my phone off. I was rounding a corner when Google spoke up. In 100 feet, enter the light. And sure enough, 100 feet ahead, a shining point in the distance was the tunnel exit. Bright light poured into the tunnel, and I could almost feel the warmth on my skin, cutting through the frigid air of the cave. My heart skipped a beat and my spirits began to lift. A smile crept over my face as I walked toward the light, happy to be leaving this dank hellhole at last. As it turns out, the light was even worse. Part 3. Seeing the light at the end of the tunnel had raised my spirits higher than they had been all day. I quickened my step, eagerly approaching the light, ready to get out of that damned cave. I was only a yard or two away from it when Google piped up suddenly. Close your eyes when you're in the light. I stopped dead. Suddenly the light seemed a little less friendly. Why? I asked, eyeing the light with hesitation. Close your eyes when you're in the light and do not open them. Are you always going to be this friggin' cryptic? Google remained silent. I sighed, rolling my eyes. Of course my day couldn't be getting better. That would be silly. I peered out into the bright portal ahead of me. Try as I might, I couldn't see past the blinding brilliance of it. No trees, no landscapes, nothing. It was just a big, shining wall of light. What could possibly be in there that I wasn't supposed to see? But after Google helped me pull myself out of that crack in the wall, I honestly wasn't going to be too stubborn about following its directions, so I clenched my eyes shut and stepped through the exit of the cave and into the light. As I passed into the light, the darkness that blotted out my vision turned a brilliant, hot white, and then, just as quickly, it faded into a dull, glowing pink as the light filtered through my eyelids. The oppressive chill of the cave was soon replaced by a cozy warmth. A gentle breeze blew through my hair, carrying with it the scent of flowers and moss. I was definitely outside. I was tempted to open my eyes, see what was around me. Google seemed to be reading my mind. Do not open your eyes. Okay, okay, I mumbled, keeping them shut. What do I do now? Continue forward for twenty feet. Do you ever walk with your eyes closed just to see how it would be to be blind? It's not easy. But at least when you're pretending, you can just open your eyes again before you stub your toe on a coffee table or run into a wall. But when you have to keep your eyes shut, it sucks. A lot. I proceeded forward as best I could, shuffling my feet and hoping I didn't catch a root and send myself sprawling face first. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Into the dirt, I held my hands out ahead of me, waving them in wide arcs back and forth so I wouldn't break my nose on a tree or rock wall or any other thing that would spring up in front of me. But step after step, my path remained clear. Take a right and proceed for fifty feet. I did as I was told. As I walked along, eyes still clenched shut, I began to hear the twittering of birds and the dry rustling of leaves. To be honest, it was kind of a lovely walk in the woods, aside from the creepy warnings from my phone. I walked that way for quite a while, ten, maybe twenty minutes. Time is a little harder to gauge with your eyes closed. Every so often, Google would order me to turn and I obeyed. So far I hadn't eaten dirt or run into anything. My feet had gone from a hesitant shuffle to a slightly more confidant gait. I kept my arms up, just in case. Still, my mood was lighter, my spirits higher, and then I heard it. Off in the distance, faint but clear, sobbing, I stopped in my tracks. Oh God, I moaned. What the hell is that? Continue forward for sixty feet. Towards the crying? Google didn't respond. I could feel the hesitation beginning to build up once more. But I didn't have much of a choice, so I gave my arms and legs a little shake to throw off my nerves and continued forward. As I walked, I could hear the sobbing grow louder and louder. I was most definitely moving towards it. Great. As I grew closer, I could tell it wasn't your average crying either. It wasn't the soft, gentle weeping of a quiet funeral. It was loud and pained, at times it ratcheted up to a full-on wail. These were the heaving sobs of pure, unadulterated grief. It was one of the most unnerving things I've ever heard in my life, and I was getting uncomfortably close. After a minute or so, when it felt like I was nearly on top of the grieving stranger, the sobbing cut off, replaced by dead quiet. Let me tell you something. If creepy weeping in the woods is scary, it's infinitely scarier when it stops dead. I stopped walking, straining my ears, hoping to catch a whimper, a sigh. What I heard was worse. Running. I could hear the pounding of feet, the rapid crunching of leaves, the heaving, hurried breaths. And it was coming straight for me. My whole body clenched, my raised my hands even higher in front of me. I nearly screamed out. Google chimed in. Do not move. I froze where I was, listening in terror as whatever it was continued to rush towards me, coming closer and closer. Twenty feet. Fifteen. Ten. I braced for impact, but it didn't come. Instead, I could hear whatever it is throw itself down onto the floor in front of me. I could hear its frenzied, ragged breaths. They didn't seem angry or aggressive. They sounded scared, desperate. Oh, thank God, it was the voice of a young woman. A terrified young woman. Please, please you have to help me. They're coming for me. Google, once again, must have been reading my mind because it spoke up immediately. Do not open your eyes. My breath caught in my chest. I clenched my eyes harder, fighting the urge to look upon the young woman. Fighting the urge to help her. There was silence for a moment, and then the woman spoke up again. What are you doing? Here voice was confused, scared. Please, please you have to get me home. I don't know where I am. Her voice was the most helpless thing I had ever heard in my life. Pathetic and desperate. It was breaking my heart. Was I just going to listen to a stupid phone? Could I really just do nothing while this helpless girl languished in the middle of the woods? For all I knew, her own damn phone brought her out here too and just left her here to die. I wrestled with my conscience for what felt like minutes. She never stopped pleading. For the love of God, please, she yelled. Please help me. That is not a girl. Do not open your eyes. Those words almost knocked the wind out of me. What do you mean it's not a girl? What the hell is it? 
But before I could ask, before I could barely process what Google was saying, there was screaming in the distance, and it sure as hell was no girl. It wasn't even human. They were primal, bestial screams, screams of rage and fury, and hunger. I could almost feel the girl, or whatever it was in front of me, tense up. So oh God, they've found me, she screamed. We have to go. Now. Do not move. Do not open your eyes. I kept my eyes shut. I don't know why. I don't know why I decided to listen to Google instead of my own two ears. But I did. Looking back, thank God I did. At the time, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. It wasn't long before I heard the rushing of footsteps harder, more frantic than the young woman's. The woods around me exploded with noise, the rushing of footsteps, the crunching of leaves, the rough, guttural huffing of the creatures bearing down on us. The wailing. No! The girl screamed, pleaded, but not with me. She seemed to be talking to whatever was barreling towards us. No, 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 please. But they didn't listen, they didn't even slow down. In a matter of seconds they descended on her, their furious yowling soon accompanied by rending and tearing. And then the girl screaming joined them. I can still hear it as I type. It's given me nightmares ever since. It was a high-pitched ululation, a keening wail of pain and sorrow and betrayal. Help, she screamed. Help me. But I stood still. I kept my eyes shut. And then Google seemed to shout at me. So. My blood chilled as the soft, electronic voice told me to get the hell out. And then I ran. I pounded the earth as hard as I could. And as I ran, I could hear the girl screaming after me. Don't leave me. Don't leave me here. For the love of God. But I didn't stop. And as I ran, as her screaming grew farther and farther away, I could hear it cut out suddenly, replaced by a strangled gurgling until that too was silenced, buried in the cacophony of howling and growling and tearing. And the whole time, I kept my eyes shut, trying to run from the fear, from the chaos, from the guilt. And then I could hear them behind me, their feet pounding against the ground. They were after me. Faster. I kicked into second gear, tearing up the ground, heaving myself forward at full speed as the growls and inhuman screams grew closer and closer, and every so often Google would shout directions. In five seconds, turn right. Continue forward for twenty seconds. In ten seconds, turn left. I did my best to follow the directions, trying to focus on counting off the seconds through my panic. And steadily, the frenzied yells of the monsters seemed to taper off until they were far in the distance. My heart began to slow down. I was getting away. I barely had time to huff out a laugh when my foot caught a root, and I went sprawling forward face first into the dirt. My brain went into full-on panic mode. They were going to get me. They were going to rip me to shreds. My feet slid in the dirt, failing to gain traction. I had to get up. I had to move and then I stopped. I held my head up, craned it left and right. The bestial cries had ceased. I could no longer hear the rushing of feet, the snapping of twigs. For a long moment, the only sound I could hear was my own shuddering breath. I felt my whole body relax. I had escaped. Thank God I had escaped. But I also knew that they could be back any second. I had to get up. I turned my head back around, pulled myself onto my knees, and reached down to the ground to push myself up, and my hand landed on a foot that was clammy and cold like a dead fish. My blood froze in my veins, and then I could hear whatever it was struggling to breathe, this breathe heavy and wet and ragged. I could hear it bend over, its joints popping and cracking as it moved, and then it spoke, its fetid breath washing over me, nearly knocking me flat. You left me to die, it croaked, and I knew the voice immediately. It was different than before, the sounds struggling past ripped and mangled vocal cords, but I knew it. The girl. It was the girl. You let them tear me to shreds, she whispered angrily, fury slowly building in her voice. You let them rip my heart out. I didn't even try to apologize. Dead girls don't rise from the grave. Whatever it was, it wasn't a girl. I didn't hesitate. I sprung forward, slamming past whatever it was, bowling it over and scrambling on hands and knees, trying to get up, trying to get the hell away. I could feel its hands tearing after me, raking across my back and down my legs. And then a skeletal hand gripped my ankle and held tight like a vise. 
My breath caught in my chest for a second before I began to kick back, trying to shake the dead girl off, trying to pull myself free. Soured, it screamed. You left me to die. I gave my leg one more frantic kick, shoving back with all my strength. Her grasp broke and I bolted to my feet, flying off into the depths of the woods. You left me to die. My heart pounded against my rib cage, and I fled blindly, hands stretched forward, legs pumping wildly. You left me to die. Her furious accusations warped into a deep, otherworldly groan, culminating in a frenzied cry of rage so loud I could feel it in my molars. It tore through me, hammering into my eardrums, nearly tumbling me to the ground. Google spoke up. Continue forward for 100 yards. And with that, I shut everything out. My racing heart, the sweat pouring down my face, the raging fury of the dead girl behind me. I dug my feet into the ground even deeper, pounding through the landscape like a madman, adrenaline pouring through my veins. And after I had been running for a good 20-30 seconds, the light against my eyelids switched off and Google piped up. Stop. But it was too late. I ran full force into a wall, bouncing off and flying flat onto my back. My body exploded in pain. I lay there stunned for a moment before letting out a low groan. You couldn't have said stop sooner, I moaned. Google didn't seem to care. Open your eyes. I nearly cried in relief. Google may as well have said, you've won a million dollars. I slowly opened my tired, weary eyes and stared up into the darkness. I wasn't in a forest. I wasn't even outside. I was still in the damn cave. I pushed myself up off the ground and turned around to where I had run from. I was on a high slope at the edge of a huge underground cavern. It was dark, but I could see almost to the other side. I craned my head upward and could see a large hole in the ceiling, maybe 100 feet up, light filtering down, spreading a dim glow to the floor below. A floor covered in rocky outcroppings and a dense, murky cloud of fog. There were no trees, no leaves, no birds, no pleasant breezes. Just darkness and fog. What the hell? I whispered. What happened to the forest? You hear what it makes you hear. You feel what it makes you feel. It needs you to gaze upon it. What does? I asked breathlessly. But before Google could respond, something moved down below. I couldn't make it out, but the fog in the cavern shifted. Something was down there, and it was huge. My knees nearly gave out as I took a few weak steps back. Google wasn't phased. Open the door. Google's voice broke my trance and I pulled my attention away from the fog, away from the gigantic thing below. And as I turned, I saw what I had run into. They were enormous wooden double doors, at least two stories tall. Two monstrous metal knockers lay in the center of each, studded metal lining the edges. I walked up cautiously, stretched out my hand and felt the rough, ancient wood beneath my fingers. How the hell do I open this thing? I asked. Push. I nearly snorted. This thing is huge. I can't push these open. Push. I sighed. Fine, I huffed and then leaned against the left-hand door, bracing my feet on the floor and shoving hard against it with my shoulder. And wouldn't you know it, it moved. Despite the size, the doors moved much easier than I was expecting. They didn't exactly fly open, but with a few rough pushes, I was able to force open a space big enough for me to squeeze through. Google spoke up. Enter. I held my breath for a moment. I wasn't sure I was ready for what was behind the door. I didn't know if my mind could take it. But then I looked back into the cavern behind me, into the roiling fog that held a living nightmare, and I realized I had to enter. So I squeezed my way through the crack in the door and gazed into the room before me, and my jaw dropped to the floor. Final part. It took me a few moments to take in the space that greeted me on the other side of the gigantic double doors. It was a coliseum, and it was huge. The size of a modern NFL stadium. It stretched before me in a huge circle, the seats carved into the rock all the way around, and it was incredibly well lit. That's because there was no ceiling. Blinding daylight poured into the cavern from an open roof, the sky above a pale blue. But that's not what made my jaw drop. The floor of the Colosseum had been torn open, a big gaping hole smack in the middle, and rising out of that hole was something out of a nightmare. It was like someone had fused a man with a crab and a spider. 
Dozens of slender, jointed legs as long as football fields sprouted everywhere from its scaly body, erupting at odd angles, bracing the beast against the sides of the cavern, propping it up from the floor and stretching out, seemingly cutting through the air. It seemed to be pulling itself out of the depths of the earth, rising up to greet the sky. It had a torso like a man, albeit covered in chitinous plates of armor, short spikes bristling over its chest, up its arms and over onto its back. Its strong, muscular arms reached up over its head, terminating in twisted hands which were open and grasping at the sky, claws the size of trees protruding from its fingertips. And then there was the head. It's hard for me to describe it. I don't have any real-life thing to compare it to, but I knew the look on its face. It was fury. Pure, unfiltered rage painted over a face of scales and protruding ridges and more teeth than I could count. Its mouth gaped wide open, twisted, and contorted into a voiceless roar. It was deformed and unnatural. I'd never seen anything like it. I almost screamed. I could feel my chest tightening, ready to let loose a piercing shriek. But the scream never came. Google stopped me short. It is not alive. I jumped at Google's voice, stared down at the phone in my hand, and then looked back up at the demonic beast before me. And Google was right. I had been so blown over at the sight of it that my brain hadn't registered that it wasn't moving. It wasn't alive. It was a statue. The biggest statue I've ever seen in my life. It was the size of a skyscraper. Hundreds, possibly a thousand feet tall. It was hard to tell with something of that scale. All I do know for sure is that it dwarfed the stadium, casting wide shadows throughout the cavern. It was damn realistic, too. So much so that I was still having trouble processing it as a statue. Even from a distance, I could see the details perfectly. Every spike, every scale, every tooth and joint and nail. I don't know how long it must have taken to make this thing, but it must have been years, maybe even decades. Let's continue forward. I looked back at Google for a moment. I really wasn't keen on getting closer to that thing. Impressive as it was, it was still terrifying. Let's continue forward. I closed my eyes and sighed. Fine. Let's take a closer look. I proceeded slowly, step after halting step, never taking my eyes off the gargantuan statue. Part of me was convinced that the closer I got, the more likely the colossal beast would come alive reach out with its deformed hands and snatch me up. But it didn't move. And after a few tense moments, I had walked from the door to the edge of the Colosseum. I stood at the top of a long set of steps that stretched hundreds of feet down to the floor below. I groaned. I knew what was coming next. Succeed to the bottom. Damn it. Fine, whatever. And so I went, step by step by step, descending deeper into the bowels of the Colosseum. As I climbed down the stairs, I noticed two things. First, as I drew closer and closer to the abominable statue, I became convinced that whatever it was depicting was real. I don't know why I became convinced of this. It's almost as if the knowledge just planted itself firmly in my brain. This thing had existed somewhere and some time. I knew it like I know that water is wet. At some point in time, this thing roamed the earth, and that knowledge shook me to me bones. I nearly had to stop when the thought hit me. It didn't seem possible, but I knew it was true. As I continued down the steps, I could only hope that it had died a long time ago. I wasn't so sure I could count on that, though. The second thing I noticed were the other statues. I was about halfway down the steps when I began to make them out. The statue of the raging beast was so huge it was easy to miss the others. But there were thousands of them arranged around the beast in concentric circles each one getting bigger as they spread out from the creature like waves of water, continuing until they hit the seats at the edges of the stadium. It wasn't until I was near the bottom, though, that I could make out what they were. They were people. Each statue was a full-scale replica of a human being, and each and every one lay prostrate on the ground, their faces buried in the dirt, their arms lying flat in front of them, their legs folded beneath them. As I stepped out onto the floor of the Colosseum, I wandered close to one, leaning in to inspect it, half expecting Google to tell me to stop. But Google didn't say a word. The statue in front of me was different from the gigantic hell beast. Unlike the beast, the statue of the human was featureless and smooth. It was less a reproduction of a human as it was a blank template of one. 
Bending over, I could get a glimpse of where its face would be, but there wasn't one there. Standing back up, I swept my eyes over the stadium floor. All of them were like this. Smooth, featureless, more stone than human. Looking back up at the beast in front of me, at the intricacies and loving attention to detail, I understood why. It wasn't laziness. It wasn't to save time. It wasn't because there were too many to spare any attention to detail to. It was purposeful. It was a statement. Compared to the nightmarish demon rising from the depths, humanity was nothing. They didn't warrant any attention to detail. They were meaningless, replaceable, interchangeable in comparison to the glory of the monster before them. The only value they had was to prostrate themselves before the beast for mercy, for hope, out of sheer devotion. I could feel the bile in my stomach begin to churn. Clearly whoever built these statues held an amount of reverence for the thing from the depths. I held no such reverence. I couldn't scrounge up an ounce of awe for something who could view us like this. I could feel the anger begin to boil my blood when Google interrupted. Approached the statue. I didn't even stop to wait for Google to finish. I knew where this was going. I began to stride toward the behemoth, my steps growing longer and faster. As I made my approach past the throngs of empty human bodies, I could feel the resentment bubbling up. I had been put through hell for this. I endured unknown horrors for whatever this thing was. And I had no choice. I had no way back. So screw it. You big scaly bastard. You want me. You can have me. You want to swallow me up into that hole. Fine. Let's just end this. Now. Soon I passed under the shadow of the demon, the light around me dimming, and ahead I could see where I was going. A small set of stairs rose from the floor of the stadium, butted up against the massive fissure in the rock and atop that staircase was a landing with a large, vertical stone slab, maybe ten feet tall, a small hole halfway up the surface. Climb the stairs. I ignored it again. I didn't need its directions. I approached the foot of the landing and looked up at the foreboding stone wall at the top. I took a deep breath and began my climb. And as I reached the top of the steps, Google's voice rang in the silence of the Colosseum. You have reached your destination. I just stood there, staring at the rock wall in front of me. It was covered in deeply carved runes from top to bottom, the characters forming intricate swirls and loops and waves across the surface, all culminating around the hole in the center, wrapping around it like the coils of a python. And I knew I would have to reach into that damn hole. It was pretty damn obvious. As I said by this time, I was basically over the whole thing so I was about as ready as I ever would be to just shove my hand right in and let whatever happened happen. But I stopped for just a moment, peered into the hole in front of me. It was oppressively black like a solid wall of darkness. I couldn't see anything past the stone wall, and despite the fact that the wall itself seemed to only be a couple feet thick at best in my gut, I could tell that the hole extended much, much farther. I craned my head up at the evil stone bastard looming over me. Is this what you want? Fine, you can have it. And I shoved my arm into the hole. At first, I didn't feel a thing. I figured I'd at least feel some kind of extreme cold of the void or something, but it was almost pleasantly warm. I shook my arm around a bit to see if anything would happen, but it was almost disappointingly uneventful. I had my hand dangling in the void for close to a minute and was considering pulling it out when it happened. Faster than I could process it, Something cold and wet wrapped tightly around my arm. I yelled in shock. It traveled from my hand up to my elbow and pulled hard, slamming my body into the rocky wall. I could feel it tightening over me. I struggled to pull my arm out. I didn't have any delusions that I could win this fight, but I was pissed enough to not let it take me easily. I couldn't tell what it was exactly, whether it was a tentacle or a tongue, but it was somehow smooth and rough at the same time, traveling over my skin like slimy sandpaper, threatening to tear the flesh off of my arm. The grip tightened even more and I was certain it was about to snap my arm in two. I could feel the force against my bones, pushing them to their limits, my arm screaming from the pressure. And then it bit me. Or something like that. My arm exploded in white-hot flames, and I felt tens of thousands of needles plunge deep into my skin burrowing into the muscle. My screams sliced through the air, my head reared back, my mouth wide open. 
I could feel the needles pulsing in and out, in and out, joined soon by what felt like hundreds of little mouths, sucking hungrily, lapping up the blood as the needles drew more and more of it up to the surface of my arm. And as the pain threatened to shut me down, to turn my brain off, I looked up at the nightmare creature above me, glared at it in defiance. Kill me if you want, I thought. Take what you want from me, but I'm going to be an asshole about it. You aren't getting any reverence from me. And with every ounce of strength I had, I raised up my free arm and gave the hell beast the finger. And then as quickly as it started, the tentacle thing let go, like it had straight up vanished into thin air and my arm came loose from the hole. I nearly fell backwards down the stairs, but was able to steady myself, wobbling a little precariously at the edge of the steps. Honestly, I was a little surprised to still be alive, let alone still have my arm. It took a few seconds to sink in, and then I examined my arm, expecting my skin to be gone, my arm bloody and mangled beyond recognition. But it was completely intact. It was utterly fine. With one small difference. From my elbow to my wrist was an intricate black tattoo. Snaking around my arm like a series of tentacles, runes like the ones on the stone wall were imprinted deep into my skin. I touched them apprehensively. I felt nothing. It's like I'd had them my whole life. I looked up at the stone wall to compare the ones there to the ones on my arm. But the stone wall was blank. Smooth as glass. I looked back at my arm. What the hell just happened? And then before I could say anything, a voice boomed throughout the cavern, shaking the walls, nearly tossing me off the landing to the floor below. It is done. You may ascend. I looked up the second I heard the voice to the massive statue, pretty much convinced the damn thing had come to life and was about to ruin my day, but it stood still, lifeless. After a breathless minute of staring up at the beast, checking for any signs of life, I turned back to the stairs and nearly pissed myself. The human statues had moved. Every single one of them, thousands upon thousands of them, now stood up, their arms raised high in adoration at the beast, their blank faces somehow still conveying worship and praise. My whole body shivered. And in the midst of them, a couple dozen feet from the bottom of the landing, was a huge winding stone staircase. My eyes followed it as it wound upwards and into the sky above. I guess that's what the voice meant by ascend. I gave one more cursory glance around the cavern and descended the stairs, heading past the creepy blank human puppets and straight for the winding staircase. I didn't stop to think this time. I just began to climb. I didn't know where they were taking me, whether it was to another chamber or home or heaven or hell. All I knew was that I wanted to get out of there. I don't know how long it took to climb the steps. I just pressed forward, eyes glued to the top, ignoring the ache of my legs, the sweat plastering my shirt to my back, the heaving of my tired lungs. And eventually I was at the top. There were only a dozen or so stairs left to go. The light blue sky opened up above me and I could feel the wind on my face. I closed my eyes and breathed in the fresh air. Then I gave one more look down into the hell hole I had climbed up from. The disgusting monstrosity was far below, its arms stretched up in rage. I couldn't see the humans below it, but I couldn't care less about them. And after a few moments of glaring at the blasphemous creature below with a deep sense of loathing, I turned back and ascended the stairs, and then my vision was blotted out by a blinding white light. And then I was back at the truck, just like that, just standing at the driver's side door. I looked around for a second. Had I just zoned out? Had I been hallucinating, but then I lifted up my arm. The tattoo was there, wrapping around my arm. It was real. It happened. And it was over. Now I could go home. I didn't waste any time. I fished my keys out of my pocket, unlocked the door, and climbed into the truck. As I was taking my seat, Google spoke up again. I ignored it, unlocking my phone and closing Google Maps. Luckily, I had a signal, so I downloaded Waze because screw you Google Maps. Then I punched in my address and headed home. I got there no problem. No detours into the unknown, no sketchy directions. I arrived home under a starlit sky. I unlocked the door, walked straight to my bed, and collapsed. I don't know how long I slept, but by the time I got up, it must have been well after noon. I checked my arm once more, hoping it would be a dream 
but the tattoo remained, reminding me that I couldn't forget what happened the day before. I got up and took a shower to wash all the sweat and dirt from my little foray into the cave. Then as I was entering the living room, I spied an envelope on the floor right at my front door. Someone had dropped it through the mail slot while I was asleep. I walked over, picked it up, and flipped it over. In bold magic marker, the word couch was scrawled across the front. I opened it up. It was filled with an absurd amount of cash. And so I went ahead and bought the best damn couch I could find. Seriously, it has seat warmers. I even had enough left over for a huge flat-screen TV and a kick-ass stereo system. And as I sit on my awesome couch and binge Netflix in 4K and think back to everything I had to go through to get them, I realize that I was royally boned in that particular transaction. Seriously, screw those guys, whoever they are. And every so often, I just sit there in my living room, running my fingers over the runes inked into my arm. Runes that aren't the same every time I wake up. And I think back to the last thing Google said as I entered my truck and goosebumps break out over my skin. When he comes, answer the call.